You're listening to the midweek edition of the 1208 Podcast. All right, fair warning. Uh, as you're listening to this, you may, may be like, Jamin, I don't uh, feel like this is super affecting my spiritual life at all. And uh, that, <laughs> that very well may be the case. Today, we need to take a look at uh, ancient culture about children, about pregnancy, about birth, things like that, um, so that we understand all of this in the way that the ancients thought about it. Because uh, we have a whole lot of different ways that we go about the same kind of uh, techniques today. You know, our technology is so much more expansive than they had back then that we don't have the same problems as they did. And, you know, the list just goes on and on uh, about the differences. And learning about that stuff may not make you feel like, you know, super spiritual per se, but it will help you start to read the Bible in the lens that it's being written in. So rather than just be like, okay, I don't know why Sarah had just this, you know, big concern about being barren, you'll actually start to to see why they care. You'll start to read the Bible through its own lens rather than your own until it really starts to catch your attention. Actually, today, I, I kind of felt like I was going through this a little bit. Uh, I was watching that new Mary Magdalene movie. I think it's still in theaters, but you can rent it online. So I rented it. Because uh, it, it looked like it could be interesting. And Jesus, at one point, they had him, like, lie down next to this dead guy to to resurrect him. And and I remember, you know, you wouldn't think much about that in our day. You might be like, oh, it's kind of gross, uh, lying next to a dead guy. But instead, my mind's going through, oh, Jesus, you're breaking the, the rituals. You can't touch a dead man like that. You're going to have you're going to be unclean for. And then I stopped and I was like am I thinking like an ancient person? <laughs> like today I wouldn't think that way, but my mind actually like is watching this movie through the lens of, you know, how an ancient person might've uh, thought of that. And I don't know, maybe, maybe the script writers intentionally had that in mind, or maybe they just didn't even see it. But in my mind, I realize I'm watching this movie through much of what I've learned. And in the same way, I'm trying to help you read your Bible with uh, the ancient context in mind. That way, when you come across future stories, because you're going to, you're going to see barrenness come up in several main character stories as we go down the road. You're going to wonder why children are, are so important and why they seem to be valued differently and so on and so forth. So to help you just be prepared for all those stories, today we just kind of have a, a lesson setting us up to start seeing the importance of children uh, and, and, uh, becoming pregnant and giving birth and all these things. So I'll be working a lot with, uh, um, David W. Baker's, uh, online class, the social world of the old Testament. It's on logos mobile or logos, if you will, mobile education. Um, he's got a lot of interesting points to point out about, uh, the social world of the old Testament when it comes to, pregnancy and childbirth and, and stuff like that. We'll work with some other sources as well, but that's kind of going to be the topic of today. So as we jump in, let's go ahead and take a look at our main source passage. Uh, we're going to skip over a genealogy because we don't see anything of super significance pop out to us here. 
though we do see people's length of years start fading, okay? So it's the generations of Shem. If you remember back with the flood, God said, I'm going to bring about the flood, and after this, people aren't going to live as long. And then we look at some genealogies, and we're like, well, they still kind of seem to be living for a long time. Now it's starting to fade really quick. So I will point that out in the genealogy. Shem's descendants, we see uh, Shem was, uh, well, five to 600 years old, and then Arpachashad, not great at these, these old Hebrew names, you know, over 400 years old, and then it just keeps getting down till we get to... Um, so we get to Nahor, and he's at like 119 years old. Uh, so we can now see that uh, God's promise that people would not live as long has now caught up, is starting to come to fruition. And, uh, you know, we a lot of people might even ask, you know, like, really? These people, they lived for over 900 years, some of them, some of them 400, 500. That just seems ridiculous. You know, that is a little hard to tell. It's possible that maybe the Bible's trying to condense, like, entire family lines. Like, this guy represents all of his family. And rather than give you every single person born, we're just going to say, like, the weight of his family was 900 years. I don't know. You know, it's it's hard to fully see it in that light because at the same time, God's like, people aren't going to live as long after the flood. So maybe there's some kind of... um you know, scientific change in the atmosphere. I, I don't know. I know it all just sounds a little crazy. It's either something massively scientific that we don't understand, or uh, some scholars would opt to say that it's like more of a summing up of people's lifespans throughout uh, generations and families and things like that. You'd have to kind of make your own call as to what you want to do with that. All right. When we're done with Shem's uh, genealogy line, we get to Terra. Terah lives for 70 years. He fathers Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Now, these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah, in the land of his kindred, in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai. And the name of Nahor's wife Milka, and the daughter of Haran, the father of Milka and Isaac. I, I know I'm sorry, Iska. I know I'm changing everybody's names, how I pronounce them every time. Sorry about that. Now, Sarai was barren. She had no child. Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son, Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Okay, so this is just our introduction to Abraham and Sarah, uh, who at this time are just named Abram and Sarai. Their names are going to be changed later. But for now, uh, they've got different names. But we've already pointed out uh, a problem in our introduction to them, is that Sarai is barren. She has no child, implying they've already had the chance to make it happen and nothing is happening. Now, I do want to point this out really quick. You know, yes, times in the Old Testament were much more sexist, you might say, right? Uh, I've heard people point out before, like, oh, so, so... 
this the woman was the one who couldn't have the baby, not the man. I see how it is. Uh, I do just want to point some things out really quick. Um, Sarah uh, gives Abraham someone else to be a surrogate mother, and she gets pregnant by Abraham, which does show us that Sarah is the one who is barren in this particular situation. So we do have to note, like, yes, Sarah is the one who is barren. It's not a sexist thing here. Scientifically, the proof is eventually shown. The other thing is this. The Bible, believe it or not, actually does at one point call men barren. Deuteronomy 7.14, God is saying, look, if you follow my laws, all these rules I'm giving you, here's the blessing I'll bestow upon you. And as God is saying what that blessing is, in 7.14, he says, there shall not be male or female barren among you or among your livestock. So whether it's an animal or whether it's a human being, you will multiply all of you. I, you know, I, I will choose you all to, to just take off with productivity. So the, what's important to note, especially in this spot, though, is male or female. Neither of them will be barren, which implies, you know, the Bible understood, yes, male can be barren just like female can be barren. And it kind of stands out. It screams in a world where we would think, you know, there's so much more sexist than we are today. And the Bible screams out right here, recognizing men, even you won't be barren. So um, the Bible did understand, you know, it's not just necessarily a woman's fault. If you can't have kids, the man could also have something going on there. And believe it or not, uh, in ancient culture, it may not just be that the man is scientifically barren, but he may have other problems trying to get his wife pregnant because in the same way that some people have, uh, you know, the inability to be aroused to enter into getting someone pregnant was a problem they also had back then. We know this because we found these incantations in the ancient Near East, Mesopotamian literature, in which they kind of say these spells and attempts to restore sexual potency to, to the male. So uh, in the same way that uh, you've got Viagra <laughs> trying to fix this now, back then you kind of had like sorcery or witchcraft as one of the ways in which people would try to find themselves aroused. And this, of course, is a, a growing problem uh, among young people today, is uh, they're growing up w getting so addicted to pornography that they are actually finding themselves unable to be aroused anymore because what they've seen has become their new high and to find a new high above that high just becomes so difficult for them that you're seeing people struggle with this on a whole new level today um, because of, you know, the, the, the problems that sin is ushering into our lives. So with that being said, uh, the male could be unable to perform in ancient culture just like you see it uh, today. So conception, it could be uh, barrenness on the man or woman's part, or it could be problems along the way towards trying to get pregnant. Now, if problems persisted on the woman's part, it does seem that ancient uh, cultures had a idea of a surrogate to come in. Uh, in the same way that you might have heard stories of like surrogate people, you know, today bringing about someone else's baby, 
they had that in ancient times. Of course, it wasn't uh, uh, medically created. Uh, in this case, it would be like, well, think of Abraham and Sarah because they actually practiced this, right? Later, Abraham's like, okay, God told me we're going to have kids, but Sarah's not having any kids. I'm going to do it my own way. Uh, and Sarah gives Abraham her slave. Uh, and since they own this slave, uh, when this slave has a baby, it is therefore attributed to Abraham and Sarah because Sarah has set this up, created this moment, and now this child is a, a surrogate child of Abraham and Sarah. So ancient people actually had this kind of technique. Uh, legal, legal ideas were put in place in um, other ancient laws like uh, the, the Hammurabi. Okay? So they had, uh, in, in that uh, legal teaching, they said that you could impregnate a slave girl or a prostitute. And if you did that, that would then be kind of your legal way of getting a child in case your family was barren. And I know that sounds crazy to us, you know, and it's, it sounds very wrong to us because it is actually. I think you're going to see the Bible phrase it itself as wrong. Even though this is Abraham and Sarah's story, the Bible doesn't just like, well, they, Abraham and Sarah did it, therefore it was okay. No, the Bible's tells stories in ways where we pick up on the language. You're like, wow, no, wow, Abraham, Sarah, what are you doing? You're missing the point. You're falling from God's plan and you're falling into sin. But uh, that's still ahead of us, so let's not quite get there yet. I will mention, though, Abraham and Sarah did wait uh, perhaps longer than many would to go the surrogate route. And it seems, of course, they didn't wait long enough but perhaps they were waiting uh, because God had promised them this. Uh, in ancient culture, we, we have two different Assyrian texts that talk about uh, um, going this surrogate route. Um, one states that uh, um, if the wife has not become pregnant after three years, then you can go the surrogate route. Another one says uh, two years, that if she hasn't been able to get pregnant in two years, then you can go the surrogate route. So it wasn't just like, well, it didn't work this one time. Now you just go find someone else. They had their own kind of customs as to how to go about the, the surrogate route. Genesis 16.3 tells us that uh, it's been 10 years um, before, before Abraham went ahead and moved on with the surrogate route. So we do see that they waited some time hoping that God's promise would come true. Uh, but they didn't have faith to, to wait long enough. All right, so all of that kind of catches us up to speed about barrenness, what people did in the ancient world to try to navigate it and 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 all of that. But uh, we the, the struggle doesn't end after barrenness because when a child comes along, well, things can get quite difficult. And this is something that is especially different from our world today. Don't get me wrong. We have plenty of problems with births today, um, but at least here in America, you know, when you look at what the world used to be, you probably won't even recognize it. And that's what we're going to talk about next.
The year is 2019, and we have advanced technology to have babies. Yeah, okay, sound a little weird when you say it like that. That's just the trailer setting you up for where we're going. Uh, but it's true, you know, like if you want to have a baby today, there's all kinds of technologies to aid a safe process to happen. Uh, we can see the baby inside the womb. We know all these different tricks to try out, to figure out all different kinds of things about the baby. We have the advanced technology to check the heart rate, to do all kinds of things. So from the moment of conception all the way to the moment of birth, we have medical trained professionals who have the ability to make medical decisions to make sure that babies are taken care of, to give you the right pills. Ah, you need this. Uh, to give you the right shot. Hey, uh, you have this particular kind of blood. Your husband has this particular kind of blood. That means that your body is going to think that the baby is this kind of of particular blood, and that's going to be foreign to your body. So your body's actually going to try to kill the baby. So we need to give you a shot to reverse it. That sounds ridiculous to us, but that's actually a part of, <laughs> for, for several people, trying to figure out if they're going to be able to have a baby or not. In ancient times, you don't have much of this at all, you know, at least not technologically. Yes, midwives had tricks to try to discern all kinds of things, but the idea of, of seeing the baby in the womb, of, of hearing the heartbeat with a, a monitor, you know, and, and uh, giving you a shot to reverse the scientific process of your body thinking a baby is a foreign contaminant, these kinds of things are modern, right? So imagine a world where none of that exists. Yes, you have smart midwives, but as far as scientifically trained geneticists and doctors trying to discern what's best to do, as far as people who can literally cut a woman open, pull a baby out, and sew them back together as though nothing happened, <laughs> that's modern. That's modern. So today, we see babies born all the time. You know, in fact, uh, yes, there are horrible tragedy stories. I understand that. And those are always hard to listen to. But when you look around you, a lot of times you feel like things are fairly normal, uh, that people can just get pregnant and have a baby with little to no problem. Now, part of the reason people think this is because they're not aware of how often miscarriages still happen today. I don't have the stats in front of me, but I'll just speak from my own life. Uh, me and Jody uh, found out we were going to be having a third child. And uh, early on, I think it was still the first trimester, we found out that we were going to have a miscarriage. Uh, what's interesting is when I tell people this story, I've had people respond to me who I had no idea of. They respond, yeah, well, we had a miscarriage too. And I'm like, wait a minute, what? I thought everybody was just normal. Things, things went fine. We didn't have these kind of problems. But that's not the case. People still have miscarriages. Uh, and I again, I don't know the stats, but I think they're higher than most people would imagine. And just as I learned myself, you know, I, I don't usually just bring it up in conversation. But if people were to ask me, I would tell them I can have that that story. But in the same way, other people aren't always sharing that conversation either. Um, so we're just not aware of how prevalent it is until you talk to someone else and you're like, oh, 
I guess that is something that still happens. People just aren't spreading it around. Okay, miscarriages in ancient times were much more common than they are today, to the point that stats actually vary uh, as to trying to figure out how how often it happened. There's some that are a bit more extreme and some that are maybe a bit more conservative. So let's take a look at this to, to show you my point. Uh, so one stat I, I was reading yesterday in uh, the Emerging Scholar series from uh, Leah Reddigger Schulte, she actually, uh, in her own investigations, she came across a stat from uh, Carol Myers that, that says this, considering an infant mortality rate of around 50% in ancient context, Carol Myers posits an estimated six to eight pregnancies were necessary to have at least three children who, were, who would survive past the age of five. So that's not all miscarriage right there. That's, uh, that's saying that children need to be born and then they need to live. Because actually we find in uh, ancient times, children living was partially just as hard as giving birth to them. They, they, didn't, they didn't always make, like, you know, you have this child, they're born, they're healthy, but now you entered into the next stage. Can you keep them alive while they're an infant, which was not so easy? Uh, perhaps this is the reason in Genesis 21, 8, that uh, Abraham throws this great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. So after, after Isaac's born, Abraham has this kid named Isaac, and the child is weaned, they have a big celebration. <laughs> we, we definitely don't have those kind of celebrations today, uh, but um, uh, back then they did. Why? Well, Probably, you know, if you think about it, like they're having some success with this child. It, it's growing up. It's, it's making the distance. It's lasting beyond where it once was. Uh, did that mean that they were five years old? Not necessarily. We don't know necessarily how long a child was uh, um, breastfed in ancient times, though we do have in Second Maccabees, um, which is a, a non-canonical book, uh, that often gets linked up with the Bible. Uh, it's an apocryphal book. It, it talks about a child um, being weaned for three years. That may be way more than what uh, most people <laughs> would um, take weaning a child. We don't know. Um, but either way, uh, this meant that the baby was surviving, it was moving on, and it was uh, making some progression. Uh, sometimes you even had wet nurses just to make sure that the children... Uh, would be taken care of. You know, you even find today um, some women's milk doesn't come through. And we, today, again, comes back to our technology. We have ways around this. We have uh, um, all kinds of other um, substances that can be like breast milk that we give to children um, to help them. But uh, some some parents aren't breastfeeding their children, not because they chose that, but because their milk didn't come in. So in ancient times, you had what was called a wet nurse, which was someone who had their own baby, but then continued to uh, wean other people's babies in order to maintain the milk inside themselves. So that would partially be their job was to make sure other babies were taken care of to, to feed them with their own milk. Uh, so that's part of what you see in ancient times. And you even see that 
in Genesis 24, 59, as well as Exodus 2, 7 through 9. So uh, you find that in your Bible. So there you go. That kind of shows us um, the difficulty of raising a child to make sure that they lasted past the age of five to survive all the sickness and disease and whatever other difficulties might come their way. But let's backtrack again because I, I got ahead of myself. Let's come back to miscarriages. Miscarriages, again, were very common in ancient times. We've already seen that like 50% of children would struggle to survive even after being born. But when we look right at miscarriage alone, uh, it might have reached a high as much as 20% of pregnancies. Make sure you catch that. That's 20%, which means everybody, to some extent, the ancient world's very aware of miscarriages. Again, I think of even my own family. Uh, Beckett, his head was too big, we found out. We had to have a C-section after waiting in labor for like a whole day. We finally just went to get a C-section and we find out his head was too big, which Jody blames me. That's my fault. My head's ginormous. Uh, but anyway, anyways, uh, when you think about that, if this was ancient culture, you realize my son would have died because they wouldn't have had the C-section to do that. Or if they tried to go that route, they would have had to kill the mother in order to figure that out, you know? Uh, and even, even Jody, you know, if, if my son's head is too big to come out, well, it's possible too that Jody and my son would have both died. Now, fast forward a few years to my daughter, Jericho, and uh, you find out that she was born breech, which means she was upside down, which is uh, there's a lot of risk that comes with delivering a baby the natural way when they're breech rather than delivering them through a C-section. Now, if you don't have a C-section available in ancient times, well, your baby's under a lot of danger. Uh, Jericho also had uh, another problem they noticed when they were pulling her out uh, that... Uh, it sounds grotesque when I say it like that. Uh, but uh, there was another problem that could have been very dangerous to her, but because they were medical professionals with advanced technology, they were able to take care of it. I myself, I'm a C-section. Think of all the C-section people you know. You know, if any of those people <laughs> were supposed to, were a C-section because they had to be, those people would probably be dead along possibly with their parents you know, that varies. But there's a lot of people today who are on this planet, like myself, like my children, who exist because of advanced technology. If you don't have that in the past, then of course you're going to come across these kinds of crazy statistics where 20% of, of, uh, of babies come in miscarriages in ancient culture, where 50% of children... Uh, unfortunately pass away as they're growing up they don't even make it to age five miscarriages and early death that was that was commonplace i don't know if this sounds weird or not but i hope that gives you a little bit of peace if you yourself have gone through a miscarriage just to know like how common it can be still today but how common it was back then and that part of the only reason that we're avoiding it today is because of advanced technology. Like, just know that's always been a risk. 
Uh, and a miscarriage is is not your fault, you know? So again, I know it sounds weird, but if possible, take a little bit of peace in that. Uh, now, ancient people, they didn't have the technology we had to stop miscarriages or to aid a mis, uh, you know, something that looked like it might be a miscarriage to aid it in a different direction. So the things that they often did do um, included things like ancient forms of medicine. Uh, there, there's some weird um, document that's been found about if you're uh, if you think you're about to lose the baby, you're supposed to go get a mouse, crush and grind it up, <laughs> add water three times, mix it with oil, add some mineral, and then drink it, and you'll be fine. Yeah. You know, uh, I wouldn't suggest that. Don't think that's uh, probably going to do a whole lot, but that was like an ancient kind of medicine that they practiced. Um, they had, you know, they, they also practiced not just medicine, but magic, uh, trying to take amulets to survive these kinds of things. And of course, you know, bringing in forbidden arts that God has forbidden people to take part in, in attempts to try to, um, bring about, uh, their children, you see fertility things, all that kind of stuff. So there's a lot of like dangerous or, you know, like forbidden stuff that God has forbidden humanity to get involved in that people were bringing into their lives in order to have babies, which shows you just the lengths that, that people would go to in, in order to try to ensure that what had happened to them before or had happened to everyone they knew would not happen to them the next time that they tried to have a child. As you might guess, with all this talk uh, about pregnancy and this being like a big role of ancient times, trying to have children uh, and then keeping them alive, you'd probably guess that a lot of someone's life might go towards that. And uh, that that is true. There's been a suggestion, at least in ancient Israel, uh, that... Uh, a third of a woman's life was consumed by pregnancy, breastfeeding, and infant care. Um, and uh, a lot of uh, women uh, didn't live long. In fact, men and women back then, they didn't live long. Uh, let's see. Men often lived to the age of 40, while women made it to about the age of 30. And since people died so young back then, uh, it was not uncommon to think like, well, you got to start childbearing very early because, you know, you got to get ahead of the game here. You're not going to be around all that long. So there wasn't like a lot of like, well, let's wait till we get out of college. Nothing like that back then, you know. Uh, so really, you know, you saw a lot of people getting married very young um, and then, uh uh, jumping right in. And of course, you can imagine that perhaps part of the reason they died so young, at least women might have died so young, was partially due to uh, pregnancies going bad, uh, which is at least what happens to Rachel. If you go to Genesis 35, uh, 16 to 22, you find uh, Rachel uh, is in labor. It says, and when her labor was at its hardest, the midwife said to her, do not fear, for you have another son. And as her soul was departing, for she was dying, she called his name Benoni, which uh, is a really happy name right here. It means uh, son of my sorrow, or possibly son of my strength. You know, I don't, one of those is happier than the other. Uh, but then it doesn't matter because 
His father called him Benjamin, just changed his name right after that. So uh, anyways, um, that story right there shows us part of of the um, difficulty of pregnancy at work right there in the Bible. You know, you've got a key character in Genesis who passes away giving birth to a child. The child lives, um, but she doesn't make it. So, okay, we've covered quite a bit about um, the difficulty of raising children, of having children, um, what barrenness is all about, but we still haven't talked about, like, why are children so important in their minds? And for that, we find several reasons that we're just going to breeze through. So uh, let's talk about that now. So why are children so important? This is where we, we want to end. Uh, we already know today, you know, there's a lot of people out there, not everybody, but a lot of people out there are are just like dying to have babies. You know, they, they love children. They want to have children. Uh, others can't have children and they just want it so bad. Uh, just like you, you see in the Bible with some of these characters, others go in and uh, become foster parents or adopt a child. So we already know inside the importance of wanting to have children and that people long for this um, and uh, the great, great lengths that we go to, even in medical circles today, some of these um, very questionable things we do in attempts to have children uh, it just, it all goes to show, like, of course, we already know why people want to have children, because we still want that today. So that's more or less what I'm trying to say there. But in ancient culture, there were other reasons you would want to have children too. You'll notice throughout the Bible uh, that your name lives on if you have a child, right? You know, this is the son of Abraham. Jesus is the descendant promised to the world since Abraham. <laughs> like, Abraham's life has lived on kind of immortally uh, because of what he's done in the past, and it's lived on through his family and their their testimony going forward, things like that. So you kind of live on to some extent by uh, having children, uh, but your children also take your inheritance. So, you know, throughout the Bible, you see... Um, Fathers bless their children. I'm giving you these things, and you you're the firstborn. So here's what your birthright is, in in our family, you get these things, and and you, know, you see the inheritance that you pass along. So if you don't have children, well, the inheritance gets thrown off. You either got to find someone else to take it, or it just you know it goes some other kind of a route. But if you uh, wanted your treasure to move on in in great ways. Think of like the family business, right? You know, just a metaphor today. People start a business and rather than like sell it to someone else, they really long for their children's to take on the family, their children's, 
their children to take on the family business and continue to pass it on themselves. They they want it to go to a specific person. So there, there's kind of some ways in which you can sense uh, uh, the importance of having children. On top of that, uh, children cared for you in your old age. You know, you see a lot of these families uh, seem fairly close throughout the Bible. Um, or, uh, I don't know, think of, just think of different stories in which you still see family members close to one another, like, uh, Joseph, Joseph's family, right? Uh, his father, his brothers, they all seem close enough, even in old age to still be able to come together. So to some extent you're taking care of family in your old age. Um, you also see, uh, part of the reason that you would want to have children is the social pressure which a lot of people still experience today. Uh, You hear a lot of people uh, who actually get kind of angry if you ask them, you know, when are you going to have kids, things like that. Like this, it feels like peer pressure, social pressure put on them to do something that maybe they can't do or they aren't interested in, they feel judged. Well, the same thing would be true back then, probably even more so because children was considered a blessing um, from God. You know, it still, of course, is today. But back then, like, if you were barren, that almost seemed like a curse on your life or as though God was holding something back from you. You know, they, they wouldn't be able to see it so easily in like a scientific sense, but rather like you're cursed, something's wrong with you. Um, in, uh, uh, and if you could have children, and specifically if you could have lots of children, then you were very blessed. So this was part of the ancient way of looking at children. So just imagine the peer pressure that would be on you in an ancient Near Eastern culture, not just like to have kids so so the people around you think you're normal, but so people around you think that, you know, God's on your side or something. Because God gave us uh, the command. We've already looked at this several times throughout the podcast. God told us, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth which is the great irony of choosing Abraham and Sarah, right? I mean, we just saw God God send all of the nations to the uh, authority of the other sons of God, and God says, Abraham, well, he says, you know, Jacob or Israel, they're my inheritance, but that starts with Abraham. So the one guy God chooses to be his inheritance that he's going to bless the whole world with and and use his genetic line to eventually get to Jesus— God chooses someone who can't have babies. <laughs> it's the mad irony of, of Abraham and Sarah. Yes, these people are my inheritance. By the way, they can't have babies. Uh, but of course, that that just it's intentional on God's part to show his power, his authority. Of course, Sarah can't have this baby. It's only by his authority that she's going to get it. It's only by his blessing that uh, this whole thing's going to be put into play. You know, similar thing with Mary down the line. Mary doesn't just give birth to any average human being. The Holy Spirit does a miracle and creates Jesus inside of her. And so it's only by God's blessing, by God's doing, that we get Jesus, uh, who eventually comes from, you know, that old line, line of David, line line of Abraham going way back when. So all of that being said, those are some of the reasons in which you might want to have children, the peer pressure, the blessings, um, the inheritance, uh, someone to take care of you in your old age. You didn't just have an old people home back then that 
um, someone was kind of committed to, you had to make sure that they were taken care of because they just took care of you. Um, you also needed them for, uh, for other reasons. Uh, child labor back then was very common. Once a child was five or six, well, it's an agricultural culture. <laughs> you got to take care of a farm. That's a lot of work. And you don't have these big old tractors and all this stuff that we have today. And if you've ever taken care of even, uh, like a, a garden the size of a block, like we used to have that community garden uh, in, in uh, Jackson that our church used to take care of, like taking care of that would take us the whole morning on a Saturday between just a few people. You had to go fill up water, walk around, pour out the water. So if you wanted to take care of your crops, if you want to take care of your business, if you want to ensure that you had food to live off of or you know, wood to keep you warm and fuel to, for the fire and things like that and watering the garden, preparing food, all these kinds of things. And, you know, the list could go on. You could think of all kinds of things. Well, then you needed children <laughs> to help you with that. So part of the reason that you wanted to have kids back then was because the children were a part of the way to succeed in taking care of yourself and taking care of everything that was under your authority. Um, so that's, that's just another, another point right there. So all that being said, there's lots of reasons that people wanted to have children. And, uh, this was a very messy business in ancient times, just as it still is much of a messy business today. Um, but hopefully knowing all these things are going to uh, help you as you continue to move through the uh, the Bible, because you're going to come across barrenness again. You're going to come across people having kids, having lots of kids, and you're going to be wondering why. Why would they have these many kids? Why, why, why does the culture care so much that they just had these many kids? The list just goes on and on and on. So if you want to, uh, if you want to read your Bible submersed in the culture to understand without having to do a bunch of research every time you come across it or just raise your eyebrows to why it matters, then get this kind of stuff rolling through your mind now. And soon, as you're reading your Bible, it's going to just start becoming second nature. You'll start thinking like someone who lived in Bible times, and you'll start seeing the significance of it uh, just as you're reading along. So hope that helps out. Uh, we'll continue with the Abraham and Sarah story Next week, as God invites them to go to a new land, but how did they hear God? Or did they see God? Or, you know, where did God just pop up out of all of a sudden? Well, you're going to find some answers in some strange places, and that's what we'll continue with next time. Thanks for listening to the 1208 Podcast. If you want to help others be able to find us, then if you just scroll to the bottom of our podcast on iTunes, Hit a quick review star. It'll uh, it'll help it get out there a little bit more as it's seen it's been helpful to you. If you have questions or comments, leave them for us at 1208greenwood.com on the Q&A box on the front page or on the contact form. And uh, if you live in Jackson, you can help uh, one of our ministry partners around the world shop, uh, which is located in Jackson Crossings Mall. If you uh, stop by there and buy anything, not only does it ensure that they can continue to do business, but their very business supports people all over the world uh, by 
um, empowering them to make the things that are sold in that shop. And as long as they're making money through a legitimate way like that, they don't have to go to uh, other methods uh, of trying to raise that money. So uh, ways that can fall into things like human trafficking, as slavery, other forms of slavery, you know, the list just goes on and on. So check out our ministry partner at Jackson Crossing and to um, catch, catch, uh, catch up on what they're doing. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you soon. <laughs>